everyone. My name is Gregory Shelsey, and welcome back to another great episode of Young Investor Society's Gen Xenomics. Today, I'm going to be covering all the basics of stock options, including everything from what are they and the various types. So let's get right into it. You might have heard of stock options before because they're associated a lot with very volatile trading. People like Roaring Kitty on Wall Street Bets use stock options to take $100,000 and turn it into $40 million. Now, does that mean they're foolproof? Absolutely not. But you still need to learn about them. Stock options are basically contracts that give a person to buy or sell a certain stock at a certain price at a certain time. I know it's a little bit vague, but later on in the episode, we'll cover specifics so you don't have to worry about it. There's two main kinds, puts, which allow a person to sell a stock, and calls, which allow a person to buy a stock. But it's important to note that although it might seem easy because it's a contract or it might seem simple, there's a lot of complex stuff that I won't be covering today that's involved in options. Various Greek letters that involve calculus to determine a stock options intrinsic value and other things that are well beyond the grasp of myself and my listeners. But they are, like I said before, they are not for beginners. They're incredibly volatile. If a stock doesn't meet a certain price at a certain time, even if it goes up, your option can still expire worthless. And lots of people treat stock options like lottery tickets, so they buy a whole bunch and they, they bet the farm on it. And I can tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, that is not a smart idea. So there's a few more terms I want to cover before I get into calls and puts, and those terms are relatively simple. One of those terms is in the money. In the money basically means that the call has gone past the price it was expected to. So that's a good thing. If you own the contract and it goes in the money, that means you can exercise it and make money. You're good. Out of the money means that the contract has not yet arrived at the set price. So if you own the contract, you're losing money. But if you wrote the contract because you're betting against the stock or because you don't think it'll hit a certain price by a certain time, you're making money. Then there's also strike, which is the price that the option is set at. So let's say I want to buy an Apple call with a 125 strike. That means that I'm betting that Apple goes to or past $125 per share at a certain point in time. And then also, it's important to note, although it's not necessarily a term, that stock options deal with shares of 100. That way, everyone knows that they're dealing with the same thing. So if you look to buy an Apple call option, it might be a lot more expensive than a general electric call option because you're talking about 100 shares of Apple. So for newer investors, sometimes buying calls on companies like Apple and Microsoft can be a little bit more pricey, and it's better just to buy shares to not only reduce volatility, but to get more bang for your buck. So the first type of option I'm going to be covering today is a call option. And the reason I'm going to be doing that is because it's a little bit easier to understand, especially for beginner investors. Basically, a call option gives a holder the right to buy shares of a stock at a fixed price by a certain date. If you're buying a call contract, it usually means that you're optimistic about the stock in the short or long term. So let's say I think Apple is going to surpass $130 by August. I could buy a $125 I mean, a $135 call contract for Apple expiring in August because I think that it will surpass the $130 mark. That's basically what a call contract is in, in the easiest and most simple form for beginners. Then it's not only people buying them, it's also people selling them. So let's say someone owns 100 shares of Apple and they really don't think it's going to go past $135 by August. They might sell me that contract for a fixed price just to get some extra pocket change or a few hundred dollars to reinvest because they'd be making money from not selling a stock because they don't believe Apple is going past a certain point. 
So it's it's one of the most interesting things in the stock market to me, how two people can look at a stock and see two totally different things. So on one end of the call contract, you have a person who thinks that the stock is going to do really well. They think they're getting a great price on the contract and they're like, man, I'm going to make the person that sold this to me look like an idiot. But on the other hand, you have somebody writing it so they can make more money in the short term to invest in other things. And they go, man, the person who just bought this off of me is an idiot. So it's really interesting. Basically, there are a few strategies with calls that's important to understand, and I'm going to keep them relatively basic. The first type of strategy that people do with calls is something called a long call. That's pretty much what I covered in the beginning. It's when you think a stock is going to go past a certain price and be in the money, which means you'll be making money on it as a buyer. So you buy the calls. Now, some people, if they don't have enough money, if they're younger, or maybe they're just not interested, they'll just sell the contract once it's in the money. They won't bother buying the shares. So people who buy long calls will either sell the contracts a week or two before they expire and make their money, or they'll activate them and buy a 100 shares at a fixed price. Then the opposite is the person who sells the calls, the person who, you know, doesn't think the stock is going past a certain price. Those people do something called cover, covered calls. And what people do is with covered calls, they sell covered calls on positions that they don't think are going to do well in the short term to make money to either reinvest it into the stock or to even buy other equities. I can tell you firsthand, I owned this one company and at one point I was down 30%. So I sold, I sold covered calls well beyond how much I owned the stock for so I could take the upfront money and then buy more shares to lower my cost average. And if I had to sell the stock at that price, it's fine because I would have been making money. But it's important to note, Benjamin Graham said it. He's the author of The Intelligent Investor. He said, it's important to not put a ceiling on your profits and to put a floor beneath your losses. So when you're writing covered calls, you really need to make sure that you would be okay with selling the stock at the given price. Because a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll write a covered call. And if a stock does really well, all of a sudden they'll change their mind and they'll say, oh, but I wish I could take it back. But the thing is you can't. So if you're in the business of writing covered calls, make sure you're writing it at a price that not only allows you to make a good amount of money per contract, but you're also comfortable with. And if you're buying calls, make sure to not buy them short term, although it might be, might be enticing because they're cheaper. And also make sure to be sensible about what you're doing. Take your losses early because call contracts and the decay that comes with their price, especially if the stock doesn't do well, happens very quickly and it damages a lot of newer investors. Outside of call contracts, there are also put contracts, which are a little bit more confusing, but they're pretty simple once you break them down. So basically, put contracts allow for the holder of the contract to sell 100 shares of a stock at a set price. And they're written by people who basically believe the stock will stay above that price and be out of the money. So you need to understand what in the money and out of the money mean in the puts context. If you own a put contract, and the stock goes to or below the price that you own the put for at the strike, they're in the money. Basically, if you can sell a stock at $130 using a put contract when it's actually at $120, you're winning. But if you're a person who writes the contract, as long as the stock stays above the price that you write the contract for, you're making money. So on one hand, the person who buys the contract says, oh, the stock is going below this price, so they buy it. While the writer says, oh, the stock is staying above this price, so, so they write it. And they're used in a lot of different ways. I talked in the second episode about the GameStop fiasco and how basically shorting means that you could have unlimited losses. If you short a stock, technically it can go to infinity, which means technically you can lose everything. So what people do is they buy puts. So even 
if the put contract goes to zero, they don't lose more than their original investment. So if you really want to short a stock, but you don't want unlimited losses, and you don't have the amount of funds available to be able to pay if you do end up sustaining severe losses, you'd buy a put contract. So that way you make money as the stock goes down, but you don't have the same amount of risk involved. Puts are also used a lot for insurance. So just like your parents insure their car and their house, people will insure the shares that they own in various companies. So let's say I own 100 shares of Apple, and I'm worried that it's going to go down in the short-term or long-term future. What I would do is I would buy a put contract at a set price that would allow me to get rid of the shares above my cost average so I could make money and get out. And also, puts are also treated like covered calls in a sense, where people will write put contracts that they don't think are ever actually going to be in the money just to get some extra capital so they can invest with freely. So they're a little bit more complicated because they aren't naturally bullish. But if you look at puts as insurance and as a way to short a stock without directly shorting it, they start to make a little bit more sense. So outside of buying these options, I bet you're probably wondering, what else can you use these options for to benefit yourself as a trader and as an investor? Well, my biggest piece of advice when using options would be to look at an options chain. Basically, an options chain is a list of all the options and all the strikes for a certain stock. So let's say you want to look at Apple puts on July 16th. That's when they expire. What you do is you click on July 16th on an options chain website, and it would show you all the calls and all the puts at their various prices for that date. So if you want to get, have a rough idea of where a stock is going or see where other people think it's going, it's a good idea to look in the options chain and look at volume and see how many people are buying certain contracts. So let's say a lot of people are buying Apple $130 calls that expire on July 16th. If you look at the options chain and you see that, that could mean that a lot of people are very optimistic about Apple in the short term. If a lot of people are buying puts, it could mean the opposite. Now, it's important to note that that isn't definitive. Just because a lot of people buy calls doesn't mean that a stock is going to surpass a certain price, but it's a good way of gauging how other investors feel about a stock, especially after something like earnings where people are unsure about the future. So that was options investing in a nutshell for beginner investors. My name is Gregory Shelsey, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Young Investor Society's Gen Zenomics. If you like this podcast and you think you have friends who could benefit from listening, please share it with them because I think the more people we have listening, the better I can make content for all my listeners. I'll see you guys in the next episode.